Well, it's Easter, not that anyone would actually be able to tell. I mean, here we are with, a, with an empty sanctuary. You, you should see the parking lot. You can get front row parking right now if you want. Um, no extravaganza last night with 10,000 Easter eggs and a bunch of kids on sugar highs running all around. It means no brunch, at least no brunch that you can have someone else make. If there's a brunch, you've got to make it yourself. And no Easter outfits. Now, a couple of months ago, actually, Jocelyn bought a new pair of shoes. She bought me a new pair of shoes. And she said, hey, I thought these shoes might look great for Easter. Which is a fatal mistake that Jocelyn made. Um, because if you know me, you know that I don't wear new clothes. I debut new clothes. And so in my mind, I thought, oh, those shoes never will be worn until Easter. And there have been a few times where she said, hey, why don't you wear your new shoes today? And I'm like, uh-uh-uh, I'm saving them for Easter. And so now you're going to tell me that I can't wear my new shoes, or at least I can wear my new shoes, but no one's going to see them on Easter? Uh-uh, I ain't going out like that. So hey, everybody, look at my new shoes, my Easter. They're nice, aren't they? She did a good job. Happy Easter. <laughs> Now, in all seriousness, I can say this, that, that never in my life have I experienced an Easter where, where death still hung so thickly in the air as I'm experiencing right now. I mean, Good Friday... That was two days ago, and that's the day we're supposed to deal with all of the death stuff. That's the dark stuff. Today, all of that's supposed to be gone, and we are supposed to be celebrating life and resurrection, victory. And yet, here we are. Uh, predictions say that before the day is over, in our country alone... 2,000 more people will succumb to the coronavirus. That's on top of all of the other people who may die from other causes for other reasons. That's on top of the estimated 20,000 who've already died in our country. Most of us are still living, hopefully all of us are still living under some kind of quarantine because we're afraid that if, if we break the quarantine, if we don't shelter in place, we will be responsible for causing more death. It's Easter, but death's still staring us square in the face, isn't it? Which seems so unfair to me. And I don't know about you, uh, this doesn't seem like how Easter should be. And yet, this Easter, the way we're experiencing it now, has the potential to help us understand Easter like never before in our lives. See, see, though it's weird, this may be the first Easter that we experience the holiday like those first disciples experienced it. Because maybe you know this, but on that first Easter, it wasn't like how we celebrate Easter. They didn't wake up in the morning and put on their bright clothes. It wasn't a joyous day. They didn't go have ham and mimosa, although that sounds really good right now. Instead, it, it, it was a complicated day. They didn't know what was going on. And, and now, now that for us, life is, is really complicated and this Easter is really complicated, maybe, maybe we can begin to experience Easter 
in the same way that those people experienced Easter so long ago. Maybe we're finally ready to experience Easter the way it always has been meant to to be experienced. Uh, Because Easter is always, here's the truth, Easter is always a little confusing. You'll probably notice through those resurrection scriptures in the gospels, when the angels make their announcements and they say, he's not here, he is risen, nobody says back, he's risen indeed, alleluia. It's not there. Instead, people are, people are trying to figure it out all day long. And, and the disciples, they wonder if someone has moved the body or taken the body, stolen the body, desecrated the body. They don't know what to make of this. They're, they're sad and they're grieving and they're frustrated and they're heartbroken. And so if today you feel a little emotionally confused about Easter, you're not really sure how to feel about it all, then you know what? You're experiencing Easter the way it always has been. It's always been a little confusing. And not only that, but Easter is always a little insensitive. Um, I know our staff, as we've been planning for Easter this year, have been kind of stuck of of just like, how, how do we do this? We've never planned for an Easter like this one. And if we do all the things that we do on Easter, if there's color and there's joy and there's fun for kids, will that come across as insensitive in this present moment? We eventually came to the conclusion that, you know what, Easter's always a little insensitive. Every Easter that we've ever experienced, we're doing something kind of insensitive. We're we're saying... There is now victory over death. Death is defeated even while people are still dying. And we're declaring that Jesus has total victory, that the war is won even while the battles rage. So yeah, if it feels a little insensitive to joyously celebrate Easter right now, I gotta tell you, Easter has always been a little insensitive. And not just that, but Easter is always a little unbelievable I mean, life after death, it's hard to get your mind around what that is, and there's a lot of speculation. No one really knows for sure, but that's not to say people haven't tried. I mean, there have been all these books and, and a few movies. This is a best-selling topic, uh, especially this late, last one here, uh, Heaven is for Real. That's kind of one of the latest books and movies that chronicles what life after death might look like for us. And Uh, I don't know what to think about this. This one's written by a a neuroscientist or a neurosurgeon's own near-death experience. I I don't know what to think about this. But here's what I can say. That this whole Christian movement that we're a part of today, it would not exist if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead. If Jesus had just been crucified and that was it, we wouldn't be here. The only explanation for the fact that there's still this worldwide movement of billions of people who claim the name of Jesus, who declare that he is Lord, is that that there must be some sort of proof. There must be some reason that we all believe that he is risen. I mean, how else do you explain the fact that even members of Jesus' family believe him to be, believed him to be the son of God? I mean, let me ask you right now. What would it take for you to believe that your big brother was the son of God. Now, I know your mama already believes that, but we're not talking about her. What would it take for you to believe that your big brother was the son of God? He would have to do something incredible, wouldn't he? He would have to rise from the dead. 
And so our faith is built on this, this unbelievable claim that a lot of people struggle with. And, and although there's historical um, writers who attest to the fact that it's true, even outside of our faith, Easter's always a little bit unbelievable. Uh, and then finally, Easter is always a little naive, isn't it? I mean, here we are almost 2,000 years after that first Easter. And we're just here waiting, waiting for the next thing to happen, waiting for Jesus to come back, waiting for something to take root instead of living this Groundhog Day thing over and over and over again. And here's where we find ourselves, though. Uh, We find ourselves in this world occasionally, you know, just when we start to think that maybe the the Easter power of Jesus is taking root, just when we start to believe that maybe the the kingdom of God is being established, you know, we pray that in the Lord's Prayer, we say, "Your, your kingdom come, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just when we think that maybe that's happening and the kingdom of God is coming here on earth and, and we're starting to, to create this kingdom of God utopia on our planet where, where things are, are better and people are whole and they treat each other differently, right when we start to believe that something is happening, Then comes a global pandemic. And if not a global pandemic, then a natural disaster or a terrorist attack, some crazed shooter or an act of war or some other act of violence or or loss that hits closer to home and it shatters all of our illusions. And I'll tell you, the disciples, they must have felt the same way that first Easter while they were trying to grapple with the reality that Jesus maybe had come back from the dead. Here was their reality that they were still facing death because the same religious leaders who put Jesus to death, Jesus, who was known and popular and powerful, otherwise untouchable, those same religious leaders were now, were now looking to all of Jesus' disciples and they were sitting ducks. So if Easter feels a little naive, you're in good company. And and the truth is, if you're feeling any of that this Easter, if you're wrestling with, with the confusion or the insensitivity or the unbelievability or the naivete, then here's what I can tell you. Maybe you're finally experiencing Easter the way it was experienced that first Easter. And not only that, maybe now in light of that, we can finally figure out how we handle it when death is staring us in the face. Because for the first time in our lives, we are in complete alignment with those first followers of Jesus. Death was everywhere still on Easter. Death was such an intense reality for them still, even while they were celebrating and and trying to get their minds around the resurrection, death was a reality. And so maybe now that death is such a harsh reality for us, maybe now we can figure out how to handle it when death is staring us in the face. And and here's the first reason, Here's, here's why. Here's the first thing we learned from the Easter story. We learned that death is inevitable. Death is everywhere, every day. It's around us all the time. And there are a few moments in life where, where, uh, where it gets our attention, like it is right now, 
and it terrifies us. The fragility of life overwhelms us. But, but for the most part, we live our lives shutting our eyes to the reality of death, don't we? But you know what? Death is here and it is inevitable so much so that when the son of God himself, the son of God himself, think about this. When the son of God himself came and walked our earth, he himself didn't escape death. But here's the thing, just because death is everywhere, it doesn't mean it has to be scary. I think the reason death has so much power over us, the reason it becomes so big, the reason it becomes so weighty for us is because we've forgotten this truth. We've forgotten that death is inevitable. The, the reason death can be so terrifying and scary for us, the reason it has so, so, much, so much power over us is all because of our inability to accept its inevitability. I'll say that again. I think I said it right. The whole reason death has so much power over us is because of our inability to accept death's inevitability. There we go. And you know, only a few generations ago, people, people just lived with the inevitability of death so much better than we did. If you were alive a few generations ago, you would expect that you probably would have to bury one of your children before they ever left childhood. It was a harsh reality, but that was your expectation. You also expected that, that your spouse probably wouldn't ever see the magical land that we now know of called retirement. You expected that one of your loved ones would be sent off to war and probably give their life in war. You expected that someone you know and love, that they would, uh, they would die in a disease or a plague of some kind. And, and even though it was still sad, and, and death is always tragic, and it's never good, and it's never normal, and it's never usual, it used to be seen as inevitable. I think about my dad's own family. Uh, my dad's older sister, Sue, she died at, it was either age two or three from what they think was spinal meningitis. I don't even know that they're sure. Then his, uh, his older brother was sent off to Vietnam. He, he was seriously wounded in Vietnam, has had a disability his whole life because of that. My dad isn't even that old. And that was his reality. And if you go back a few generations, even before that, Yes, people still mourned and grieved when death came. It was, it was still hard and tragic, but it used to be seen as inevitable. And clearly, we don't think that way anymore, which is why this Easter is so hard for us, I think. See, see we now believe that life can and should go on forever like this here. And in recent days, we've gone a step further. We have shown that we are willing to give up everything else, every other part of living in order to have the chance to live just a little bit longer, whether it's, whether it's a few days or weeks or years. We, we are holding on to this life with everything we have. We are terrified of death, which I hope you realize is brand new for Christians because our faith ancestors, they... they approach death so differently. Our faith ancestors were people who unflinchingly faced persecution. I mean, I mean, we're talking about emperors who fed them to lions and burned them alive and they went to their death without flinching. We're talking about people who when cities fell under plagues, 
people, Christians would run to the cities, not away from the cities, and they would find people they didn't even know who needed care and they would care for them. We're talking about the people who built the first hospitals and hospitals were not places that you went to get well. Hospitals were places that you went to die. See, Christians were so comfortable with death, with the inevitability of death, that they created places where strangers could come and they could die. They could not die alone. They could die with dignity. They could die with someone caring about them. They put their own lives at at risk to help people die well. And yet, you know what? It's true that, that Jesus, he raised a few people from the dead during his ministry, but every one of them had to die again later. And in the in-between, between Jesus raising them from the dead and their, and their second death, they had to deal with the same broken world we're dealing with. They had to deal with disease and war and government and taxes And that neighbor who fires up his lawnmower at 8 a.m., jerk, right? They had to deal with all of that stuff again. See, See, in the Easter story, here's what we see in the Easter story, that even on Easter, life in the here and now is still hard, and we do not want this life to go on forever. That wouldn't be good. See, Christians have always understood, and maybe now, maybe now, I hope now we can begin to understand that death is inevitable and we don't have to live in fear of it because we know someday it's coming for all of us and and it's okay. And, And here's the thing, here's the reason it's okay. It's not just because death is inevitable, but when we accept this as a reality and, and maybe again this Easter, we're finally willing to accept this, then we can really embrace this Easter truth. That death isn't final. And I know we say this on Easter all the time, but maybe this Easter we're finally ready to believe it. See, in Jesus' own story, we realize that even though death is inevitable, here's what we see, here's what we see. That God will never forsake his own. That God has a plan for his beloved that God will not let his holy ones see decay. We see although that death is, is, a, is a reality, it's an inevitability, we see that there is life and we see that Easter is not just for Jesus, but it's for all of us. We see that Jesus on Easter is only doing what Jesus did his whole life. He's showing us the way that we should go. You, you realize that about Jesus, don't you? That as Jesus is teaching, he's teaching us the way that we should go. As he's living, he's showing us what it looks like to live in right relationship with God and with other people. We see that as Jesus goes to death, he's showing us how to die well. And on Easter, he's showing us how to rise again. Jesus is showing us all of our destiny in advance. He is the pattern. He is the template. Easter isn't just for Jesus. It's for all of us. He's showing us the way. Here at uh, Pathfinder, I mentioned this earlier, um, I I spend time back at our cemetery at the back of campus, and as I said earlier, um, those moments, those moments for me when you're with a family, you're with a community, and you're taking their loved one, and uh, you're committing them to the ground, I'm I'm just going to be honest, 
the thought of walking away for me sometimes is absolutely overwhelming. Of, of really saying goodbye and letting go and leaving your loved one there. But every time I do a committal service, I, I try to do this every time, it's a custom I have and it's not unique to me. Before we walk away from the graveside, here's what I have people do. I, I tell them basically this, I say, hey, in my tradition on Easter, we have this custom. And I tell them what we've been doing today. I say, uh, one of the leaders will say he is risen and everybody will say, and I kind of look and I wait to see what the people say. And a few of them always know it. And so someone says he's risen indeed. And I say, yeah, that's right. And then I tell them today, right now, before we walk away, I want us to say this Easter response. And, and then I say, he is risen. And the people say back, he's risen indeed. And some of the people are looking at me with kind of a grin. Some people are looking at me very confused. Some people look at me, I, I think, I, what I think is, is either hurt or angry, thinking I'm, I'm doing something that's maybe inappropriate. But then I say this, that's right. He's risen, he's risen indeed. And because he has, so shall we. See, that's the truth of Easter. And maybe it's a truth today that we're finally ready to accept. That death is inevitable, yes. But Easter is our proof that death isn't final. Jesus shows us the way. And I know there's a lot of questions or a lot of confusion about death, but, but here's the reality now, that when we face death, we don't have to be terrified. We don't have to be afraid anymore. Instead, we can face death knowing that it's inevitable, but we can face it in the same way that Jesus faced it, knowing that the same thing will happen to us that happened to Jesus, that when we die, our spirits will depart and go to the Father, right? Just like Jesus cried out and gave up his spirit on the cross. And then after that, we know that our body will remain here on earth for a time, just in the same way that Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus's body and, and placed it into a tomb. He took his lifeless body because the spirit had departed and gone to the Father, and he placed that into a tomb, but we know the Easter story, right? That's not the end of it. We know that after that, uh, our body is raised again. And for us, that's when Jesus returns. Our body will be raised again, just like on Easter morning. See, we have an Easter coming when Jesus comes back. And just like that, the angel looks at the place and says, look, he's, he's not here. His body's gone. And then finally, it's not just a zombie body walking around, but our spirits reunited with our resurrected body forever in the same way that Jesus, who after his resurrection could walk through walls, he was kind of different. And yet he could also say, hey, touch me. I'm not a ghost. I have flesh and bones. He's, he's this new resurrected being, this new resurrected savior. You see, Jesus shows us the way that we'll go. And then 40 days later, he ascends back into heaven where he dwells even now. See, here's the truth. Maybe this Easter, we can also learn how to go the way of Jesus. Maybe this Easter, we can learn finally to let go of the things that Jesus says are, are passing away. And how often did Jesus tell us not to hold on to the things that are passing away? That includes life itself. That's why Jesus says, if you try to hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you let go of your life, if, if you just relinquish it, if you stop trying to hold on to it, if you surrender it, then you'll find life for eternal life. Maybe this Easter we can finally learn to let go. And maybe this Easter 
we can finally learn to trust God to give us greater things that will never pass away. See, trust is important in any relationship. And it's also important in our relationship with God. But God doesn't just say, hey, trust me and ask for blind trust. But here's what I hope you understand. Everything about Jesus, every, the whole purpose of Jesus coming was to help us understand that our God is trustworthy so, so that we could see him behave. We, we could see him interact with people. We could hear him speak with, with a human voice so that we could know how deep his love goes, that when we see him giving up his life on a cross for us, we could understand and trust that he really does love us so much so that he would give his life. And so that we could trust that our God is truly powerful, not just over the wind, not just over the waves, but even over death. See, Jesus came to show us that our God is trustworthy but there still comes a moment where all of us have to put our trust in the one who has already proved himself to be trustworthy. And, and I hope that maybe today that can, be the day for, that can be the day for you to do that. Or maybe today you, you've been giving God a little bit of trust. Maybe this is the day where you can give him all of your trust. Because here's what I know that although Easter 2020 is, is weird, no brunch, no outfits, no egg hunts, no gatherings, this could be the most on point Easter for you forever. This could be the Easter where you finally let go of the things that are passing away and you begin to trust God to give you the things that will never pass away. In fact, let me pray for you, for us. Father in heaven, I invite you to compel my heart to trust. God, right now, I, I don't know what you're doing in our world, but I invite you to do this. I invite you to pry out of my hands the things that I hold on to that are passing away. Take those things from me. Help me live open-handed. And then God, help me to trust you for the things that will never pass away. God, I trust you right now. I declare it with my life, with my destiny, with everything that I have between here and then. And I trust you because you've demonstrated yourself to be a God who is so good, surpassingly good, exceedingly good. You've shown yourself to be a God who is so loving and you've shown yourself to be a God who is all powerful. I pray today that you would compel me to trust you more fully that I might know a deeper joy this Easter than any I have known before. I pray in Jesus, amen. Now throughout this series, um, we're giving you the opportunity to ask questions on the topic. Um, and today, um, I'm not exactly giving you that opportunity. It'll come later because it's Easter and we're trying to do lots of other things today. And they're trying to keep me on a time limit. I am defying them, but they're trying to keep me on a time limit today. Um, so we're not giving you that option. We are gonna give you a number where you can ask questions. You can text them in even now based on this topic. How do you handle it when death is staring you in the face? And we will deal with them on Pathfinder Inscripted. This is, this is uh, done on Tuesday. It's, it's a live broadcast. Um, so we encourage you to text in those questions 
questions now. Uh, but I did this week go out to social media and I asked people for questions and I got a few back. One of them I already tried to answer in my message. Um, but there were two other questions that I'm gonna try to address really quickly to honor the spirit of this series related to these, uh, these questions of death. Uh, one of them is this, what biblical evidence, if any, may suggest that believers in heaven have some awareness um, of the events or to the events here on earth? Uh, this is a question that's asked a lot. And um, the first thing I would say is, is, since you said biblical evidence, I'll just be really direct with you. There isn't, there isn't really much, if any. The Bible doesn't address this kind of thing. I think the closest thing you come to is, um, it's an argument from silence, but we know that we know nothing about whatever Jesus observed while he was in the presence of the Father between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. He doesn't talk about what went on there. So maybe that's something God doesn't want us to, to really know. Uh, there is one encounter, I think, it's in, uh, I think it's in Luke, where it's kind of a parable. It's about this guy named Lazarus and this rich man. And uh, they're both dead and they're kind of having a conversation between what appears to be kind of like heaven and hell. Uh, and we're not really sure whether that's to be taken literally or if that's kind of more of a fable language. But they can see each other, but they don't fully see the people on earth. Um, so we, we don't really know. It's an interesting idea. But here's what I can say. And this is just more um, what, what I've become convinced of that when we're talking about heaven or we're talking about eternity, I know a lot of us feel afraid sometimes because we think, what am I gonna do forever? I've not been surviving well on four weeks of quarantine. How am I gonna survive forever in heaven? For some of us, that sounds terrifying. But here's what I've become convinced of personally, that, um, that heaven or eternity is, is completely living apart from time. It's completely living in the now, in the present moment. And here's what I think is probably true of you, it's true of me, that in those moments of life when I'm living in the now, when I'm not thinking about what's coming next, when I'm not worried about what happened before or remembering what happened before, but whenever I find myself completely living in the now, in some great moment with, with loved ones, doing something that I really love, in music, whatever it is, those are the moments where, where I'm most at rest, where I'm most full. And I, I think the Bible says that time is created and so eternity is probably living in the now, and so if that stands to reason that eternity is living in the now, I'm not sure that we will be pulled into things that are not in our now, being pulled into the affairs of other people far off. That's just a guess, but I think there is something really um, hopeful for those of us who have loved ones who are already in heaven. I think there's something really hopeful about um, imagining that they're connected with us, but, but maybe they're experiencing something better. Uh, that's the best I can do. Uh, one more. Um, what do we believe about heaven and hell and why does it matter if the kingdom is now, that's kind of what I was talking about, um, or uh, if the kingdom is in the midst of you, as Jesus said in Luke 17. Now, um, I can't talk about the full reality of heaven and hell. Here's what I will say, that if you go through the gospels and you read about heaven and hell, here's what you'll discover, that Jesus talks about them both as if they exist, and so it's reasonable to say they exist. But from the Bible, we know way less of heaven and hell than kind of what we know from popular culture. So that means that a lot of our conceptions of heaven and hell are not biblical. They come from other places and we should be careful about that. So, I mean, I challenge you to read through the gospels and just zoom in on heaven and hell and take notes on what Jesus actually says. But he does say that these realms exist. Uh, but, but what I wanna talk about here is this idea that the kingdom is now. And Jesus says this, he says, the kingdom of heaven is in the midst of you. And what that means is that as Jesus came into the world, he came to bring with him a taste of something that we will get to experience in full later. 
And so when people were with Jesus, the reason they loved it so much is, is because they were living in this present moment with Jesus. They were tasting a bit of eternity. And they got to experience the, the love of God and they got to experience life the way it was supposed to be. And, and it, was, it, was, it was mesmerizing, it was intoxicating. They were experiencing a, a taste of the etern eternity in the present moment. And, and we, even though Jesus isn't here physically, we still get the opportunity to do that. We still get tastes of his kingdom in the here and now, but they're only tastes. God has a plan to do away with all of those other moments, those things that pull away on our joy, those things that aren't as they should be, viruses that destroy life. God has a plan to end all of that and to usher in the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom of heaven in full for all of us who trust him. And so uh, there is something better waiting for us and it's more than just these momentary glimpses or tastes. It's something that we will experience in full. Uh, so you can send your questions in and we'll answer them on Pathfinder Unscripted. Here's what I wanna do as we begin to bring this Easter service to a close. I wanna remind you that your destiny is secure. That Jesus played it all out in advance and ahead of you. It's, it's all played out in his life. And so you know that, that we now have a secure destiny. We have a place that we're going. And so when we say he is risen, not only believe that it's true for him, but believe that it's true for us. That because he's risen, so will we be, and we will get to dwell in the house of God forever. And that's what we're gonna sing about right now. Sing with me.